0: you know randy was talking about celebrations and um this weekend is a weekend of celebration kind of it's uh it's going to be celebrated with uh, cookouts parties boats uh if you have one I, I think i've mentioned before some of my neighbors that really like to play they, they must be much younger than i because they like to play music really late at night and really loud and um and i heard them last night cranking up for just a little bit and I think what they were doing is getting ready for tonight or tomorrow, I don't know. Uh, for many people, it's the unofficial beginning to summer, right? Finally, it's here, and we're moving on. And in addition to that, it's kind of like the unofficial uh, unofficial end to, to COVID and some of the restrictions. But, you know, there's a deeper meaning for this holiday. It's Memorial Day. And what are we remembering? Well, today is the day set aside to honor the men and women who died while serving in the U.S. military to protect the freedom of this country and the lives of all of us in some degree to some extent. And so it is a day to enjoy being with family, but for those who have lost spouses or dads or moms, uh, parents, grandparents, or sons and daughters, uh, uh, it's a different kind of remembrance. And so uh, it's a day of, of memory. And remembering. But there's a deeper meaning than what we typically think about when we celebrate Memorial Day. Well, today's text comes from Acts chapter 3, and in it we have something a little similar. Uh, People are reacting to something in one way, but then Peter is going to say, yeah, that's okay, but let's figure out what the real point of this whole thing is. He wants them to respond in a deeper, more profound way. Uh, the event that draws the attention of the crowd is the healing of a crippled a crippled beggar who sat at one of the gates in the temple. The text says in the first part of chapter 3 of Acts that he'd been there for some time. We're only weeks after the resurrection of Jesus. In his numerous visits to the temple, it's very possible Jesus might have seen this man, which is an interesting thought to roll around in our head. There are times when Jesus will heal someone and will say something to the effect that this is being done to show a bigger picture of something happening. And it's possible he might have seen that man and chosen not to heal him so that this could take place in Acts chapter 3. As a response to this amazing miracle, the crowds throng around Peter and John, who are the apparent source of the miracle. What what do you think they're looking for? Why why would they hang out? Why would they be drawn? Well, maybe they want another miracle. Maybe they were looking for some sort of healing for themselves. Uh, Maybe they wanted to just see something out of the ordinary. Who knows? What we do know is that when they got there, they got something different than they had been looking for, whatever that was. When they got there, they didn't find more miracles. They didn't find something wild and spectacular. What they got was a sermon. <laughs> now for some of us that might be a wonderful thing. For others it was like, oh man, you kidding me, right? Another sermon? Really? I was thinking something good. Um, When they arrived, the amazement and the mystery of this healing led to preaching. Because, as amazing as the healing was, healings in and of themselves are kind of ambiguous. What is it really saying? What is it communicating that this person is better than the people that didn't get healed? How how do we understand healings? They're, They're a bit tricky. And in our culture, we've taken them all different directions. But what we see here is that the author of Acts is almost putting more emphasis on the sermon because that's where we understand what this truth is that Peter wants to share. So that's where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, with the first part of this sermon. Now, as we walk through the sermon and just listen to Peter's initial uh, first half of the sermon, be listening for how he corrects two misunderstandings that uh, that the people have as they're gathering there. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you, crowd in Jerusalem, handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead And we are witnesses of this fact. Verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Verse 19. Now... Repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of, ref- times of refreshment or refreshing will come uh, from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Word of the Lord. Now, the first thing they misunderstood was the source of this healing power. They thought it came from John and from Peter. And Peter is very quick to say, no, 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 you got this all wrong. It's not us. We're mere mortals. It's not our spirituality. It's not our piety, our wisdom, our strength. This is all about God. This was his action. And this is the same God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He is the true healer. But but the second mistake, and and I think this is kind of where Peter goes in the sermon is that they thought that this healing simply called for amazement and wonderment. That that's what it was supposed to do is just to, wow, will you look at that? But Peter says it calls for something much more, something much deeper. It calls for repentance. And I think what he's saying is that whenever we see see signs of God at work in our world, Whenever we hear of someone being healed from cancer or from COVID, we hear of a relationship that was broken and now restored. We hear of, uh, of despair turning to hope. We're filled with joy and wonder and amazement. But Peter wants us to understand that a deeper response is necessary. A- every time God heals and restores, he- he's opening the curtains, as it will, to a future world where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. He's giving a glimpse into the fullness of the kingdom of God with all of its glory and all of its power, the reality of God's work, the way God wants it to happen. So as we go through life and we go through different kinds of experiences, we use those and understand that they are tools that God has put in our path, opportunities God has put in our path, to connect again with him. So every wedding we attend is an opportunity for us to renew our vows of faithfulness to God first, and if we're married, to to our partner. Every baby that is born into our family is an opportunity to renew our dedication to being the very best example we can be for that precious child. Every baptism we witness is an opportunity to evaluate our relationship with God, to remember that moment when we made the decision and then to evaluate where we've come. God wants us to take advantage of these opportunities to repent, to evaluate, and then to make changes necessary. In light of what God is doing in this world... And in light of his mercy, if all we, all we do is just say, wow, that's great. Good for you. And we don't understand the deeper meaning of what God wants to do. I think we're missing an opportunity. We're missing the opportunity that God is calling us to repent and lean more fully into his work and what he's doing. Now, repentance has, in my mind, three different aspects. Uh, the first, repentance is a turning from sin. We could also say it's a turning from the past. Gordon MacDonald points out that repentance is not really a religious word. It was used uh, long before uh, re- it became used about God. It-, it came out of a culture where people were basically nomadic. Back in the days, they didn't have maps or GPS's and you would walk through a desert trying to figure out where you were going and you were looking at landmarks and and the tree that you used to see there isn't there anymore or this mountain looks a little bit different and you're never quite sure. And as you're going, you're wondering, am I on the right path? You know, I I don't know if you've done much hiking, but uh, uh, in my younger years, in my healthier days, uh, we we did quite a lot of hiking. And the paths would always be marked. You could find, you'd look for those uh, metal plates that would indicate, yes, this is path, or trail one or trail two, and and you would try and find that. But, But in a world where none of that existed, you would go days, weeks, and perhaps even months before you realize, oh, wait a second, I've finally figured out It's been building in me, but I finally figured out we're going the wrong way. (laughs) You know, there's a story of a lady that went 900 miles out of her way, crossed three different uh, uh, national boundaries before she realized she was going the wrong direction. And she had a GPS. Try and imagine what these people lived through back in the nomadic days of desert wanderings. That, That realization, this just doesn't feel right. I'm going the wrong way. That's the first act of repentance. And so you, you, you begin by turning away from what you recognize to be wrong or doesn't feel right. And it doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. It doesn't matter if it's a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years. Whenever you come to the realization that this is the path that God has set for me, then we're challenged to lean into that repentance. Now, Peter isn't directly talking to us. He's talking to the audience that was present there in Jerusalem that day. And he's telling them to repent. So what what are they to repent of? Well, specifically of participating and supporting the death of Jesus. In, In the sermon Peter contrasts God's actions with the people's actions. He says, God glorified his servant, Jesus. And then there's a string of you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. That was the first situation, the first In a most immediate sin that they needed to repent of. But broader than that, as a people, as a movement, as a culture, as a people of God, they were also being called to repent. And if you think of what would the people of God need to repent of, you think, well, they're the people of God. They must be okay. Well, not necessarily. If we look back and and, and see what the prophets called them to and see what Jesus called them to, we realize there was some arrogance. There was some pride, some egocentrism, some selfishness, some stubbornness. All of those things were things that God wanted them to repent of. You know, sometimes we, we, we kind of think of repentance as something that happens out there that you have to do before you can come in here. Before you can enter into a relationship with God, before you can be baptized, you have to repent. After all, Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. But then what? What do we do with repentance after that? Well, Will Williman uh, has a book entitled Sinning Like a Christian, (laughs) and he takes on the seven deadly sins and says, you know, we're pretty good at avoiding the big bad ones and the illegal ones. For the most part, church members still mess up. But for the most part, we don't get involved with a lot of the more gnarly points. But the seven deadly sins, pride, envy, anger, sloth, laziness, greed, gluttony, Lust. Yeah, that, that that sits right next to us on the pew. We take that one home to us. We take it to work with us. We take it wherever we go. And so repentance speaks to all of us, no matter how many years we've been walking with Jesus, how many years we've been attending church. It doesn't matter what family we come from or where we are. Repentance is an urgent need for us to realign our lives with what God truly expects for us in behavior and in our beliefs. Repentance means turning from the past. But secondly, it also means turning towards the future for what God is offering in the future. There, there's a glimpse of something more. Peter assures the audience listening to him that day that if they will repent, God will erase, wipe out their sins, and bring times of refreshing into their lives. When Jesus began his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, he begins by announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. He didn't say repent of your past. He says repent because God is going to do something wonderful in your life if you will allow it. And that requires leaning into and anticipating that time of refreshing that God wants to give us. When we lived in Buenos Aires, this was back in the 80s, uh, early 80s. And uh, they didn't have air conditioning in most homes and most businesses. There was only, well, banks were air conditioned, but you you couldn't stay in the banks very long. Guys with guns would, would kind of look at you funny. But. Uh, And so I found one place that did have really good air conditioning. Movie theaters. And if I had to be downtown, I didn't care what was on the screen. I would slip in and just sit there for 10 minutes enjoying cold air. You know, sometimes as you were walking down the the pedestrian streets and you would walk in front of the movie theater and they would have the door open, you would get this blast of cold air. Happens sometimes if you're walking in downtown Miami or or on uh, 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 Lincoln. But that refreshment that comes. You know, we're all hoping and praying that the rainy season begins this afternoon, right? It's supposed to. And I've looked at my calendar and my my weather app and it says every day there's supposed to be rain. I'm tired of waking up and watering uh, uh, tomatoes every single morning to make sure they survive. Times of refreshing are coming. And there's this yearning that repentance leads us to something that God wants to do in us. Now, uh, let, let me illustrate it in this way. Um, I, I've got the, the, the board here. I've had a number of people already ask me, is, is that on purpose? Do you need us to move that? You know, is that a, a problem? And hopefully I'll try and, and raise my voice so that the mics can pick it up. So what I need is, I don't know, one of you, just give me one of your sins and let me write it on the board here. And uh, any volunteers? All right. I'll, well, no, Jim Brady, I don't want to. No, no, thank you. I appreciate that. We, uh, we're we going to leave that one alone. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll just start with something that I have in my life. All right, Catherine, close your eyes. Uh, uh, no, I'm just going to start with this. Okay. Uh, that wasn't too harmless. Uh, hopefully uh, no one was harmed in the making of that uh, illustration. Okay, so I've got sin It's pretty strong, it's pretty harsh, it's pretty bold, and now I I feel bad, and I want to get rid of it. So I've got my handy-dandy eraser, and, well, useless. Um, So let me see. Uh, I've got the clue. Okay, so what what, what we often try and do with our sin is we, we have this kind of amazing stuff that kind of just tries to go over it, And as you can see, I'm about as successful in covering up sin in my life as I am covering up sin on the board. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's there. I'm stuck with it. But but here's the thing. I think when I write my list of sins, they are in this permanent marker that cannot be erased, and cannot be covered up. What God says is that my sins are written in His view and with His power in something a little bit different. It looks the same to me. It looks like it's around forever. But what God points out is, if I will turn from my past and I will lean in and turn towards him, there's a moment of refreshing that he will promise, and that's when my sin gets wiped away. Now, that sounds very glib. My sin gets wiped away. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Jesus had to die for that to happen. But what Peter is trying to communicate to those individuals and to us It doesn't matter how permanent you think your sin is up to the death and killing the author of life. That can also be erased. And God is more than willing to wipe out that sin, not just cover it up, wipe it out, remove it as far as the east is from the west, send it into where Davy Jones' locker is at the bottom of the sea where we can't even retrieve it, And that's what God wants to do. It's a turning away from the past. It's a turning towards the future and the forgiveness God offers. And then the third thing is, it's a turning around now, in the present. In the present. Once we learn that repentance is good news, because God is opening up a way for us to have that relationship, have that refreshing from him, we're most likely going to want to change. Well, at least we have the option. But change is hard. Change is difficult. We're so used to the way things are. Even if we know it's not exactly right, we want it to stay the same. There was an article in the magazine Fast Company, a business journal, uh, a couple years back. And it begins with this paragraph, change or die? What if you were given that choice? What if a well-informed, trusted authority figure said that you had to make difficult and enduring changes in the way you think and act? If you didn't, your time would end soon, a lot sooner than it had to. Could you change when change really mattered, when it mattered most? Then the article goes on to talk and have an interview with Dr. Edward Miller. He was the dean of the medical school and the CEO of Johns Hopkins University. Johns Hopkins. Miller studied patients whose heart disease was so severe that they had to undergo bypass surgery, $100,000 surgery, traumatic, difficult, with no complications. 600,000 people have had that. Have a bypass every year. Millions have angioplasties. temporarily relieves problems, but if there are no changes in life, the bypass will clog up. Angioplasties in a, uh, the bypass will clog up in a couple of years. The angioplasties in a few months. Now, given that scenario, given that scenario, you would think that people would be willing to change. He says that if you look at people after coronary artery bypass, two years later, 90% have not changed their lifestyle. And that's been studied over and over and over again. You know, we, we, we think, oh man, if it was me, I would change until I think through some of the things that I've been asked to rethink and change. And I'll say, no, I can't do that. That's too hard. I've been doing this this way for these years. Well, that's the third challenge. Turn away from the past, turn towards the future, and turn away now. Repentance is not a once-for-all act. It is an ongoing relationship with God, numerous in-course corrections as we get closer and closer to our goal. It's a discipline that God gives us to help keep us on track with where he wants to go and where he wants to lead us. Whatever our sins are, they're not written in permanent ink. Times of refreshing are coming.